0: I want you to think about this for a minute. A servant of God comes into this community. You've never heard of Jesus before. He tells you that Christ has risen from the dead because you have some understanding of the Old Testament. He then shows you from the Old Testament how it was prophesied that Jesus would rise again from the dead, that he would come, the Messiah would do all these things, and after having done all these things, he would return to heaven and one day return as the final judge and king over all the earth and establish the kingdom of God. You hear this for the first time and the Spirit of God convicts you in your heart and you believe. And you gather with a few others who have also believed. In Thessalonica, we figure there was probably about 200,000 people in that town at that time. It was the center. A group, could be as many as 20, believed and came to faith. And they took what they heard and began to live out the Christian faith. And in the first letter to Thessalonica, or to the Thessalonians, Paul writes to encourage them because when he left, he was basically being encouraged to leave because a riot broke out in town. There were those who were so opposed to Christ, to to the message of the apostle Paul about Jesus as the Christ that they chased him out of town and they made one of the leaders in that church Jason post a peace bond that Paul would not return quite a a response and now you're part of that group with this kind of a beginning and everyone is really upset with you Because you are now part of this group. And you are being persecuted. And some of your number is being put to death. What are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Are you going to go underground? Are you going to become a a, a silent Christian? What did the Thessalonians do? As we read through in Scripture, we see that Though they had this brief visit from Paul, though they were now new to the faith in Christ, and this was a new congregation, and they were experiencing persecution, they flourished. Paul writes to them like this. Well, actually, this is what Jesus said about the disciples and what he says to us also. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What will you give in return for your soul? See, Jesus shared this with his disciples. And when we come to faith in Christ, we too are disciples. That's what it means to be a member of a church. It means to be a disciple of Christ. We have so missed the mark in North America. We have seen becoming a Christian and joining a church as like joining the YMCA or YWCA or, or, or the golf, local golf club. We, we look for a church that will serve us. Well, I, I, I want a church that's got the right kind of music. I want a church that's got the right kind of preaching. I want a church that's got the right kind of building. And they'd better have air conditioning because I don't like those hot summers. And so we place all these conditions on the right church and we look for a church that's going to meet our needs our needs and our need is to be like Christ not to be entertained not to be comforted but to be like Christ and if we're looking for anything else we're looking for the wrong thing. It's not the church you're looking for. You've heard it often said, if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, stay out. You'll spoil it. A disciple is one who comes after Jesus, denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows Jesus not someone who looks for a group of people who will meet their needs the Holy Spirit is the one who meets your needs our faith has often been described as being a mile wide and a half inch deep As you look at it, it looks like there's this wonderful faith that's out there in North America. But as you begin to probe it, you find there's very little life because what can live in water that's only a half inch deep? The Lord isn't looking for a great show. The Lord is looking for depth. And the first thing that we can do to help build the church is to pray for her that she will be deep. Deep in faith. Praying for its growth and its spiritual health. As you read scripture, you see certainly from the letters of Paul that he was constantly praying for the people who came to faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church or to those believers in Thessalonica who have gathered together in the name of Jesus. To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. His first prayer is a prayer of blessing. He prays blessing upon them. May God give you grace and peace. When was the last time you prayed for Emmanuel Baptist? Lord, grant her grace and peace. May your grace and peace be evident at Emmanuel Baptist. As we gather together, as we serve together, as we worship together, may your grace and peace be evident. We pray for its growth and its spiritual health. Look how he goes on in verse 2. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. So often as you read through the scripture, you, you read about the, the injunction to be in prayer continually. That means as often as the Spirit of God brings someone or, or something to mind, you raise it up to the Lord. And he's saying, I'm continually thanking God for you. I was with you only for a few months, but thank God for those few months. While well, I was with you, we were persecuted and we faced great difficulty, but thank God the Spirit of God was sufficient for us. I thank God for you all. And I'm continuing to mention you in, in our prayers because it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy who are writing this letter collectively. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful prayer to pray for the church. Lord, we pray for Emmanuel Baptist that its work will be produced by faith. We pray for Emmanuel Baptist and all who come that there would be a labor that is prompted by love. And we continue to pray for this congregation that there will be an endurance that is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you can take Scripture and pray Scripture and know that you're praying according to the will of God. And the Scriptures tell us that if we pray anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that we have the things that we ask of Him. Is that not right? Absolutely! You see, faith isn't just a feeling or an assent or an agreement with a doctrinal statement. There is a work that is produced by faith. Real faith produces change. If I really believe, it's going to affect the way I really live. Is that not true? there's a work that is produced by faith I'm not saved by my work but certainly my faith will produce a work it's like the the couple that said we love each other we're going to get married And so they show up and uh, they say, yeah, we really love each other. They get married and then they shake hands and say, well, you have a great life. I'll see you later. And the husband goes his way and the wife goes hers. You say, what kind of a wedding was that? And there are people who say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but you see absolutely no effect on their lives. What kind of faith is that? If I really believe that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me and died for me, am I going to continue to live the way I lived? Knowing that Christ is asking me to walk with him, to take up my cross and follow him? If I say I believe in him, then I'm saying I believe I need to take up my cross and walk with Jesus. To live as Jesus lived. To love as Jesus loved. I can't separate those. A work produced by faith, a labor prompted by love. But I thought love was just a feel good feeling. I thought it was just one of those, you know, oh, hug myself moments. <laughs> because I love myself, that's why. <laughs> No, love is acting in the best interests of those around me, even if they don't love me back. And so there is a labor that's involved in love. And any of you who have ever loved, and if you're thinking of getting married and you're not married yet, and you think that your love is going to carry you through because you're thinking about how you feel about the other person and you haven't had to do the work or the labor of love yet, you'll soon discover in marriage that love is a labor. How do marriages make it to year 5, year 10, 20, 30? Anyone here married 30 years? whoa my love will carry me through right it's, it's all feel good right why are you laughing <laughs> how about those of you who have been married 40 years whoa 50 my goodness God bless you God bless you. That is a labor of love. How do you get to be married for 50 or 60 years, some 70, and some even longer? Because you did the hard work of learning to bite your tongue. You did the hard work of forgiving. You did the hard work You did the labour prompted by love. How can we get along as a church? How can I put up with these people who annoy me so much? Oh, did you see the way they looked at me? They I know what they were thinking. There is a labour of love. And it is only as we do this labor of love that we can hold together as a body of Christ. And we need to make this our prayer, that our faith will produce works, that our love will be a love of seeking the best for the people around us, that it is that labor of love. And your endurance inspired by hope I know Jesus is coming again and this whole book of first and the second letter as well uh, uh, first and second Thessalonians speak of the second coming of Jesus where he comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and all injustice is finally dealt with and he is the Lord over all the earth Looking to that day and knowing that I will give account for how I live causes me to want to endure difficulties because of that hope that is ahead of me. That I will see him as he is. And I need to be praying for my church. I need to be praying for those around me and praying especially for those who bug me. Laughter that God will give them this work of faith, this labor of love, and this endurance of hope. It's very practical. And I can also seek to advance the mission of my church by inviting others to attend. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to invite others to attend? As Paul goes on writing, and this is all from the first chapter of the book of Thessalonians, We know, he says, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. There was an example of lifestyle that demonstrated to the Thessalonians or Thessalonians, depending on how you want to say it, that Paul had taken up his cross and was following Jesus as a disciple of Christ. They could see it in him. And seeing it in him, they began to follow his example. And their lifestyle became inviting. It says you became imitators of us and of the lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the holy spirit so even though this was a message that was costing them they embraced it and they began to live it out and show it and demonstrate it so you became a what a model they welcomed the message they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia for your faith or your faith in God has become known everywhere what is more inviting than coming to a location where people are living out their faith what could be more inviting than that? I'm told that millennials, and I think that's probably half of you here, are looking for reality. You want substance. This is substance. Becoming a welcoming of the message, of becoming a model to others around of how your life and your belief and your faith and your, your enduring even in suffering becomes well known to everyone. If you want to see real faith, you want to go there to Emmanuel. Man, those people hang in there. You, you want to know what the love of Christ is like? You go there. Is that not inviting? Is that not the type of church you want to go to? Isn't that what you want to be as a people of God? Can I get an amen? Amen. Praying for the growth and spiritual health, inviting others to attend, and warmly welcoming all. We have a seminar afterwards for all of our welcome crew on how to be welcoming. And if anyone wants to come, you are invited. Hey, that's welcoming. Thank you. (laughs) The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your your faith in God is, is becoming known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves, that is the people around, the community, those that Paul is encountering as he continues on that whirlwind journey that he's on as he goes around people are telling him man we heard about what the people in Thessalonica are like and how their faith has really caught fire and how they're going on for the Lord we don't need to say anything about your faith because others are reporting what kind of reception you gave us I don't have to brag about you other people are doing the bragging for me They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And in that one sentence is the answer to why there was so much persecution. They were turning to God from idols. And guess who got really upset? The idol makers. They weren't selling their idols. The reputation of their idols was now in jeopardy. And you see that everywhere where the gospel went, idols began to fall. False beliefs began to fall. How you turn to God from idols, that's a good definition of faith. Turning to God from idols, from false belief, to the living and true God. Why? To wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. You see, they were welcoming of those who held faith, of those who knew the Lord. They were embracing them, and welcoming carries with it the sense of hospitality, being hospitable to those and showing them the kind of support and encouragement that is needed. In one church that my wife and I were involved with as as interims, we would come into the church, and the first sign that I saw coming through the door before I saw anything else was a sign that said, no cups in the sanctuary. (laughs) That was the first thing I saw, and they must have meant it because there was no coffee time. And one of the first things that we did was to politely cover up the sign (laughs) with another sign that said, glad you're here. What message did the first send? What message did the second send? And then we initiated a coffee time. And people were a little bit indignant. Why would you do that? Don't they have homes to drink coffee in? <laughs> what would you do that? And, and we kept trying to say, it's not about the coffee. It's about showing hospitality. We're inviting people into our home. Do you not offer them a, a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of water when they come into your home? This is a place where we gather as the family of God to worship God. Do we not want to be hospitable? And they were demonstrating hospitality to the servant of God. It begins there and it continued on for them. So if I'm concerned that this church grow and blossom and become a witness to the Lord, I want to continue to pray for its growth and its spiritual health. I want to invite others to attend. And I want it to be an inviting place because faith is real here. Not because we just say, good morning, and shake a hand. But because faith is real. And we want to be truly welcoming of all by demonstrating hospitality in a way that touches lives. Amen? Amen. I'd invite the deacons, if they would come and join me. This table represents the incarnation of Christ. This table represents a visual participation in the coming of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his first coming as Savior. And it's also pointing as a road sign to the fact that we are waiting for his second coming as Lord and King for the kingdom of God. I'd like you to think of the Old Testament for a minute. Hi, guys. Welcome back. What did they do to you? You all look so serious. (laughs) There we go. There's at least one or two smiles. That's good. I'd like you to think into the Old Testament. I want you to think for a minute a little bit of the story of this table and of what it represents. It's often been said that all that is taught in the Gospels is explained in the epistles, that is the letters of the New Testament. And all of it is illustrated in the Old Testament. Taught in the Gospels, explained in the epistles, and illustrated in the Old Testament. So we're going to go to an illustration. And the illustration is that of Abraham who placed the wood for the burnt offering on his son Isaac's shoulders. How much wood would it take to burn up a young animal or a human being? It would take a fair bit of wood. He's placed all of this wood on his son, and his son is carrying it as they're going to the mountain. And as they're going, Isaac is thinking. (laughs) He turns to his father and he says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, and I think his voice might have caught a little bit as he spoke. We have fire and wood, But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abram says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. As a father, and as I read this, I can't imagine of what was going through Isaac's mind. As I come to the New Testament, it tells me that Abram believed that God would have raised his son from the dead because he believed in the promises of God. But we have this picture of a son who is carrying the wood for the offering. A little bit later as we come to the New Testament, Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And we believe that Isaac willingly lay himself down on the wood of the offering, trusting in his Father. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This, this command I received from my father. And then we read a little later. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Isaac and Abram, Abraham walking to that place of the offering, where Isaac was to be put on the wood, Jesus carrying his cross, walking with the Father to the place where he would be sacrificed. Only the Father would not withhold judgment from his son. He commanded Abraham not to kill the boy but he allowed judgment to fall on his own son so that his son could carry the weight of our sin I tell you the truth says Jesus anyone who believes has eternal life yes I am the bread of life then people began to argue with each other about what he meant How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. How can this be we ask how can this be they couldn't understand it and then Jesus gathering with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed took some bread and he blessed it and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying take eat this is my body this represents my body And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which contains, confirms, I should say, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice. Why? To forgive the sins of many. That's why Jesus died, why he gave his life. It was not taken from him, he gave it so that he might pay the price of our sin, that we might be redeemed. I would like to encourage you, as the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus are passed in your midst, for you to meditate on this passage, to think about the illustration of Isaac, to think of Jesus carrying the cross, to think about the things that I've just shared with you, and to understand that what this represents for us Is the means by which God has given us eternal life and to do it with thanks I'm going to encourage you that as you pass the cup and as you pass the bread that you first pass it to someone when it comes to you if you can see I'll have you stand out so you can all see I'm not blocking but it's handed to me and then I pass it on then I will take it. If you do it that way, you're not holding the cup and trying to pass the tray at the same time, which can be very difficult. So whether it's the bread or the cup, first pass it to the person next to you. They will serve you. And then you only have to hold the cup. And some of you may also have cup holders in front of you. If it's difficult, you can put your cup in there until the time comes to take it. would you give thanks for the bread unless I've got you backwards I he's saying yes I have you backwards so though you're holding the bread you'll give thanks for the cup (laughs) multitasking
1: dear Lord we thank you that even though We are people who, in our own selves, go backwards. You turn us around. We thank you for that turning around, that repentance, that conversion, that is possible because of what Jesus did and who he is. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to earth. You lived a perfect life among people like us, and you died a perfect sacrificial death for us so that we could be saved. You took our cross as you bore it to Calvary. You, your body was broken and your blood was shed to pay the price for our sin. And so, Lord, uh, we take this cup today, and we thank you for it, uh, and the bread. And, Lord, we, we thank you that uh, it is life for us, spiritual life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, please bless uh, the cup, uh, the elements, as they come to each one. And uh, may it be a time of spir- real, spiritual Uh, awakening and uh, awareness of who you are, what you have done for us, and that you are coming again. Thank you for this cup, which represents your shed blood for us, in Jesus' name,
2: amen.
0: Amen. And if you'd give thanks for the bread.
2: Let's pray. Father, we are reminded that the scriptures tell us that Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And it reminds us also that he did not have to come. He took on human flesh. We celebrate the incarnation. He became one of us, stepped into this sin-cursed world and took on himself the sin of the world and then went to the cross and died there for it. We're so grateful Lord Jesus that you came. We're so grateful for all that you have done and and in your body you suffered a great deal but you did that for us so we could go free. We give you thanks today for the bread which uh, symbolizes to us the incarnation and the suffering that you did on our behalf. And so we thank you in Jesus name, Amen. amen.
0: bread. We remember the incarnation of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven, was born as one of us, and in that body carried the weight of our sin at the cross. And the cup reminds us that he shed his blood, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and is now at the right hand of the Father on high. And by taking these, I'm declaring that at one point in my life I have come to faith in Christ and I believe these things and that I am looking for him to come again as Lord of lords and King of kings in the coming kingdom. Let us take the bread and drink the cup. Now, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And all God's people said, The Lord be with you.
1: And also with you. Thank you. (laughs)
0: I <laughs>